0: to offend a podcast that explores people who rose to offend in society and their legacy today i'm your host Better Spych, and this week we are doing part two of three on henry rollins punk rock icon who challenged the scene's inclusion and stood up against the stereotype that was put on that genre creating controversy along the way and physically having to defend himself from his own fans before transitioning into a spoken word performer author advocate and actor and embracing becoming an icon for many disenfranchised and the voice of strength, truth, and self-confidence to those who could not find it in themselves. At this stage in 1984, with Black Flag touring constantly but barely surviving financially, Rollins would choose to embrace different art forms in order to survive as an artist.
1: He ran out of the back of the house, ran up an alley, made a left, made a right, made a left, went to a phone call, dialed 911 and said, I live at 809 Brooks Avenue. in in Venice, California, and there was a shooting at my house. Can you please come here? So, I walked into the middle of the street, not knowing what the fuck to do with myself. 30 seconds later, a plainclothes cop car comes racing up the street towards me, orders that I go to the side of the curb and put my hands on my head. They arrest me, throw me in the back of a car, drive me up to my own house, and keep me there for 20 minutes and make fag jokes outside the car and point at me and call me sweetie. I keep asking in vain, can you please tell me what happened to my friend, Joe Cole? He might want to know how I'm doing. He might be scared. I need to talk to my friend, Joe Cole. He's my roommate. He's my best friend. Where's Joe Cole? And the cop said, sweetheart, just calm down. We need some details on your partner. My partner? And the cop said, yeah, what's your partner's name? I said, my partner, my roommate. My other half is Joe Cole, who's 30 years old, and uh, can you please take me out of these cuffs? I haven't done anything wrong. Why have you arresting me? I need to talk to my friend. Do you need the key to my house? You might need to get in there. Some guys had guns and they put them to us and they are just shooting. Can you tell me what's going on? Finally, one cop sits down in the car and he's working on his piece of paper on his clipboard. I said, excuse me, sir, my hands are turning blue and also, can you please tell me what happened to my friend Joe Cole? And the cop turns around with a very studied nonchalance, and he said, oh, he's dead, and went back to his clipboard and wrote like it was no big deal.
0: And joining me this week, Brandon Hahn and Sylvia Alvarado. By 1984, Black Flag at this point was getting little mainstream attention, and each member was running in different directions. Mastermind of the band, Greg Ginn, was running SST Records, initially to put out the Black Flag Records, but expanded to many other underground bands, including the Meat Puppets, St. Vitus, Husker Du, and the Minutemen. Of course, there was about 20 or 25 people that went through Black Flag, you know? Yeah. There was about
2: four or five different drummers and bass players and yeah. four different singers. So there's a lot of, a lot of people uh, that played with the group during the
0: 10-year the period. The time and effort it took to run the record label was very stressful because all these artists he believed in and were putting out very important records.
1: And just to let people know that you signed bands like Sonic Youth, The Minuteman, The Descendants, uh, Husker Du, I mean, breaking groups.
2: Yeah, yeah, I've, you know, been fortunate to work with a lot of really good groups. Um, and that
0: always uh, makes me want to do more. Rollins, who lived in a tool shed during this time on the Ginn property, turned his focus to writing every day, and this led him to start to look at this as a solo career while the band was focused on the label work. Been about a month or so since I wrote in this book. That month was spent in L.A.
1: Time spent home rarely has anything worth writing about. I spent a lot of time in the backyard and in the shed. Sometimes I like to take my chair outside and sit in the front of the shed door. I sit and look in the backyard. The trees are so thick that the neighbors would have a hard time looking in. I look at the pine tree, the hummingbirds, the offshore breeze, the sun. It makes me know that these days are numbered. You should see the view in the early part of the evening. Incredible. The way the sun comes through the avocado tree makes it look like the tree is performing some kind of slow erotic fire dance. The floor of the yard is covered with pine needles, The needles of a giant pine tree that stands on the northern edge of the yard. There's nothing in the yard that can injure bare feet. The backyard is a very safe place. Sun, trees, birds, quiet. It's like a sunny womb. Every time I'm in there, I feel worlds away from the streets. Sometimes I don't venture out into the streets for two or three days straight. I won't set foot outside the front door. When I emerge onto the street days later, I feel at a loss at the language it's so easy to forget that's why I'm always glad to leave there as nice as it is numbered as the days are when I leave the streets I want to leave forever the jumping in and out of the fire is too strenuous when I want to get gone I want to be all the way gone in the backyard the spell can be too easily broken by the ring of the telephone from out of nowhere I have to be with them again makes me think that a man with obligations is a fool
0: do you think Rollins' foray into writing was motivated by the non-stop DIY approach that he saw from Greg Ginn, or because he needed to stay active and create constantly?
3: I think it was more so that he wanted to constantly create. Greg probably was an inspiration, and he admired the hard work that he was going through and doing, but I think that, that Henry Rollins was just a creative person.
1: I've been doing some writing and some reading. I did two shows of my own, one at Bebop Records and another one out at UCLA. I thought they went really well. The door to the shed had a seven-foot pot plant growing next to it when I got back here. Thanks, Pettibone. That's all I need. Fuck it. I don't feel like writing anything. Life is slowed down to a crawl. Without the tour, I don't know what to do with myself. I feel like getting in a fight or slicing myself up some. Things are different these days. A lot of bands go out and achieve gold and platinum status on their first ever album, and they never see the inside of a van, and they never have to defend their music, and they never have to starve for their music, and they never have to go out and take it on the beak. I don't know whether this is good or bad. I don't know whether living in filthy dives for several years improves your music or anything, but uh, looking back on all of it, i got to think that they're missing out on some fun.
4: I think with Rollins, it's constantly in motion. That's the one thing I always think of with Haley Rollins, motion, staying motion, always going forward and writing every single day. And and that work ethic, he even said in the last episode that he's not talented, but he's going to basically work harder than anybody. That's his talent. And that's just what he does. And if you stop working, if you stop moving, he's like a shark, you're going to die.
1: And the idea is uh, called part of you dies. When something happens, part of you dies, you know? my dad would take me out on the weekends stand me up in his backyard at attention and make me sing the national anthem if i messed up one word he'd smack me in the side of the head every time he'd smack me part of me died he'd make me do the pledge of allegiance he'd make me sing all these songs my country is smack tis of thee goddammit. part of me died when i would lie in my bed at night and listen to my mom fuck next door to my room, part of me would die. When her boyfriends would beat the shit out of me, part of me would die. And part of me dies all the time. And so, I deal with that the best I can when parts of me die. And that's why I write, because when parts of me die, it hurts, and I write about it. Parts of you die all the time. Sometimes it's beautiful, most of the time it just hurts.
0: Do you think idle hands maybe have a play, too, though? That, like, you know how people in these environments that have all these bad vices around, they have to stay busy so they don't get caught up in that? you think that ever was a factor with him?
4: With him, I don't know. Because, I mean, think about it. He was friends with Ian McKay, who was pretty much straight edge. Mm -hmm. So being around that and being able to say no to that, I don't think that was a hard thing for Rollins to do. But I do think that constantly seeing just nothing but crap in front of you, the lowest the society has to offer. That's what Rollins constantly surrounded himself with. I mean, the guy was living in a tool shed, for God's sakes. The
1: show was so-so last night. Lots of stupid punkers at the show. I told them that Jello Biafra was a narc, a government-paid agent that bummed their lives pretty bad. Some people beat up the van, busted out the headlights, ripped off the windshield wipers and side-view mirrors. That's why I don't like you. That's why I don't answer your letters. That's why I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm getting sick of Canada. I don't like stupid drunks and sub zero temperatures. After tonight, there's only one more show Vancouver. Vancouver is Drunkville. People make me sick. I'm burning out. I'm getting lumps in my throat again. I ran out of the medicine that the doctor gave me. I'm having trouble sleeping. I can only manage about four or five hours at a time. Something will give at some point.
3: I think we drive anybody crazy. To yeah. be perfectly honest, if you're around that much negativity, maybe you're not going to be so creative, or you're not going to do something good.
0: Yeah, there's going to be an anger mm. that, exactly. that you have to. has to yes. comfort
4: you. Yeah, and especially in punk rock, there's no more motivate. There's no better motivating factor than anger.
1: Just uh, from wanting to do a lot of stuff and having to do a lot of it myself. You know, you want to put a book out. Okay, I start a book company. I want to do records? Okay. Well, I got into the independent record business. and want to do a band? All right, you put a band together and load some bad equipment into a band and start learning how to starve creatively. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did you, uh... Well, you do poems, too, don't you? No. No? I write books that have short stuff in it, but, you know, I don't like to use the P word. (laughs) I think labels are really boring. You know, anyone who says, I'm a writer, it's just like, you know, just if you're going to write, shut up and write. You're going to like, you know, Ted Bundy never said, I'm a serial killer. I mean, he just went out and did it.
0: Rollins would write and distribute his first book of journal entries and short stories in 1984 on the SST imprint entitled 20 and would start doing talking shows to promote this book around this time. He would also meet a future friend of his that would become very close, and his name was Joe Cole.
1: Each of them had one stroke of good fortune. They crossed paths, and it was just by sheer luck, these two aliens crossed paths. They became incredible friends, and had a friendship that was beyond words, that was beyond thought. They could finish each other's sentences. When they were together, they were so telepathic. It's like they were brothers. It's like they shared the same mind. When they were together, they used to call themselves The Chosen One. Everything the other one said was awesome. People around them used to say, why don't you guys just get it over with and fuck each other, okay? (laughs) The two would laugh at them and know that these people had no idea how cool the other one was. They would argue with each other You're awesome. No, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. No, you're awesome. awesome. But you're the man. No, you're the man. I guess I am the man. You are. No, but you are. On and into the night, they would watch really stupid movies for their comedic impact. Anything with Sylvester Stallone. The more serious the movie, the more the boys would laugh. They worked very hard in the living room, aping Sylvester Solon's sagging face. They dissected the movie over the top, as one dissects Moby Dick or Ulysses. They got down every nuance of Sly's tortured face. They believed they were the funniest, coolest, most awesome guys on the planet. Together, they were invincible walls of mirth. They did so much cool shit, you will never be able to finish a book about the two of them. The epic movie could never be made.
0: Joe Cole and Henry Rollins would become inseparable and was the first close friend that Henry Rollins would have in Los Angeles. Joe would become a roadie for Black Flag, but most important would bring Henry the same dynamic that he had with Ian Mackay back in D.C., I have a bad ability.
1: It's like a curse. I can make anything look bad by looking at it for too long. I always look too long. I see through love and affection. I see desperation and praise. I see hate and jealousy. I see it in myself. I want to walk in the desert tonight. I want the wind to pass over me. I want to let the poison bleed through the soles of my feet into the desert floor. I want to starve the monster. I want to punish it with thoughts of clean night wind. The monster will kick and bellow. It can't take a direct shot. It cannot take the pain of painlessness. The iron door slams shut. A con stares the paint off a wall. There is no next time. There's only a flickering recollection of last time. History is vacant and meaningless. Thoughts of the past bring pain that cannot be measured. Thoughts of tomorrow are nightmares wrapped in reality. He can no longer prove his past. He can no longer prove himself. He throws the shackles away and lands hard in the present. He closes his eyes and opens them again. The walls are still there.
0: Rollins was always passionate about his love of isolation and strength of one. But finding a best friend in a town that he finally acclimated to does what for his future work and viewpoints.
3: Since we're such social creatures, we need to have a friend or we need to have somebody there with us. You know, it's, it's going to help him. He has someone to trust. Mm-hmm. So if he has something to create, if he has ideas, he can go to someone to get feedback.
2: You come across as uh, almost like a solitary man, I think. Well, that's a good... It's
1: a good description of what I am. I employ about got six people at my office, and there's all kind of sound people and management and all these people who either, I either pay a salary to or they get a percentage of what I do, monetarily. Uh, but I don't really know them outside of the fact that I work with them.
4: I think everybody needs balance, and I think when you were mm-hmm. so. Just thick-headed, so stubborn, like Henry Rollins is. It's good to have somebody to put you in check. You know, like that's what I have Pete for. Like every Mm. time I go off the rails, I go, Pete, should I commit murder? And he's like, no, Brandon. And I'm like, thanks, Pete. You just
3: needed that. (laughs) That's all you needed, was that. Yeah. Don't commit murder. No, Brandon.
4: Okay. I'm like, you got a point, Pete.
1: (laughs) So I get up to the second level. And I'm like, "Ah." ha. There it is. And I go, I go up to it. No sign. Ha ha! ha ha! I run onto the platform. Looking for the train. There is no one there but me. I'm like, alright! First in line, totally on time. 20 minutes. Alright, there's no one here, no problem. It's the only guy taking this train. The only guy smart
5: enough to take this train. Everyone else is home with Morrissey or something, it's just me, fine.
1: I better go talk to someone. I go out, another typical city employee.
5: Hey! Me, yes, you.
1: A worker's disagreement over here? I did not see the presence of a little
5: placard.
1: No, uh, there's a man, transient man, asleep on the tracks, up up ways, and uh, when he wakes up, uh, he'll have the train going.
5: <laughs> Looking at him, I
1: wondered if it was his dad,
5: you know? <laughs> I, I, my immediate instinct is, kill kill you, kill you! But you can't do that, you can't do that shit! So, yeah, I'm thinking like, ah!
1: Can't do that. So I pull open the American Express tube map and look for plan C. Ha <laughs> ha! I look. There is no plan C. <laughs> I have to go to another tube station. It is a dot right next to the dot that I'm at. There is about one micron of distance between the two black ink circles. Can't be that far <laughs> So I go up to some guy, trying to be cool, trying to maintain myself, but I'm getting
5: very angry. Excuse me, bloke. (laughs)
1: Right? That's the local flavor,
3: right? There has to be some kind of balance. It happens in friendships. It happens in relationships. There's always someone that's really crazy or like out of control. But then there's that one person who's like, hey, calm down. Don't commit murder.
5: Mm -hmm. Thank you.
4: Thank you, by the way. Still, thank you to this day.
3: (laughs) But yeah, of course, there is balance. You need human interaction. I think
4: what Ian was for Henry is what Henry Rollins was to his fans. Yeah. Last
1: night's show in Nijmegen was at least interesting. The heist got shit-canned because of their texts. They got bottled off the stage and all these intense lesbians came to the back room and gave Mugger a ton of shit which Greg got on tape. Came out sounding funny as hell. When we got on to play... People were drunk and just standing around. That was until a huge fight cleared the hall. Some skinheads from the next town over had rented a bus and come over to get in a fight with the skins from Nijmegen. It was pretty wild. We were told to get off stage. I went onto the floor to watch the shitheads beat each other up. They were going for it, too. These drunks were really pounding each other. The promoter was trying to break up some of the fighting and was getting punched out in the process. Finally, the police came and the show was over. Some night. I didn't want it to stop. It was great seeing all these shitheads beat the fuck out of each other. I wanted
0: to thank them and then pay them to keep it up. Black Flag would release the album that many feel defined them the best at the end of 1984, and that was the live album, Live 84, before entering 1985. (laughs) in four albums in 1984 three studio records and one live would keep them on the road constantly and with new material to keep playing live fans would not have the time to know this material and it would cause issues more and
1: more i start to question why i'm doing what i'm doing greg doesn't like me much and thinks that i have ill feelings towards him there's no convincing him otherwise i respect greg more than anyone i know he's incredible all of us in the crew are constantly amazed by his playing and his presence he's totally non-stop He makes me and Dukowski look like bums, no shit. I think that Black Flag is his second string project, his opening band, Gone, being the first. I think that the other members of Gone know that too. You can see it when they deal with the rest of Black Flag. It doesn't bother me. They're nice enough guys and incredible musicians. I think they give Greg a good run for his money. Gone is the tightest, most together
0: band on this tour. As performers, Black Flag did not cater to the fan base and would keep putting out releases into 1985, and play the new material despite the fans wanting the old material. No, I mean, everybody has
2: a different idea of what punk rock is. Um, Punk rock started out in New York in the 70s as uh, just an avenue for people that didn't fit into the rock scene at the time. Um, It wasn't about a certain sound. Uh, it, It was just about People doing different stuff, and a lot of the early punk bands—the sounds covered a, a wide range uh, of areas. Um, and then after a while, of course, if every as everything develops, then it gets pigeonholed a little bit more. And 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 nowadays, I think people associate punk rock with more of a sound than an openness or or an idea, and it's become more about carrying on a tradition rather
0: than doing new stuff. By 1985, Black Flad would release three more records of original material on SST Records. The first was Loose Nut, released on May of 1985. It was hot as hell in there. I passed out in the middle of one song and had to climb up
1: Greg's leg. We kept going. We played well. People seemed to dig it. It doesn't matter if they did or not. During the breaks in the beginning of Slip It In, Bill was standing up and screaming, Fuck you, you limey pieces of shit! It was great and it made me play
0: harder. Fuck these people. And at this point, the writing was on the wall and the nonstop chaos of the road and its volatile fan base would start to tear the band apart. Gin, during a summer tour, told Rollins point-blank he did not like him and the two would stop talking. All during the set, this
1: one guy kept screaming, You sold your soul! over and over while he grabbed the mic cord and shook it so I couldn't get my mouth near it. He wouldn't stop. I asked him over and over, would you please stop, but he didn't. I was good. I didn't crack him upside his head now, did I? No. Makes me wonder what these people come for. Makes me wonder what I do it for. I didn't like playing last night. People were coming backstage and trying to talk to me. I had nothing to say to them. I just stared at the ground. I used to try and be polite, but now I see where that got me. If I say nothing, it gets me the same reaction. The shows are starting again. It only takes a few days on the road to make me remember everything. The halls, the dressing rooms, the smells, the lack of privacy and the people. Two weeks from now, I'll hate the sound of my name. I will hate the fact that any asshole who wants to will be able to fuck with me. If I stand up for myself, I'll be given boatloads of shit by the band in the audience. My head hurts just thinking about it. My ship will sail into the sun and burn. No abortions on the lake of fire, no promises in the company of alone. The number one
0: heals, strengthens, and illuminates. Does Rollins feel or know he is going to get fired or let go from Black Flag after this revelation from the leader of the band, Greg Ginn?
3: I think if any person, like from a member of your team, says, I don't like you, it's going to be in the back of your head Mm -hmm. that, ooh,
4: it's a hard thing to get it, past. It
3: doesn't look good at this point, you know?
4: Yeah, that's a hard thing. That's a very personal thing to yes. say. As, my, as It doesn't even really sound that bad. Like, I don't like you. And it's like, it's not like I, I hate <laughs> I'm you. I'm sure that's how he said right, it. Right, exactly. Tone. Yeah. And there's something that if somebody's like, oh, you're a piece of shit, I hate you, you're like, okay, Whatever. you're probably going a little too far. You're but, angry right now. But if now. somebody just looked you right in the face and said, hey, I don't like you. Like, ooh, that stings a little. Yes, it's very smug. You're looking down on someone. And the thing is, is with Rollins, too, the band... I definitely think he saw it coming. I mean, there's just no way. You, would be I mean, unless you are completely
3: oblivious, yeah, oblivious it's to perception. So igni- yeah.
4: yeah. You know, that's a thing. And that's where Rollins thing was, is he was perceptive. He did catch up on certain mm-hmm. things. So that was always one of his strong suits. And I'm sure he knew this was coming a long way. And I'm sure he probably needled him to say that. Mm. What do you think of me? Tell me right now. Tell me right now. And he's like, I don't like you. We spent the night at this apartment
1: after the Portland show. A girl told us it was her place. We find out later that the place isn't hers at all. The apartment building is a squat full of junkies. During the night, someone came in and ripped off a lot of our people's stuff. Greg got it the worst. He lost his bag, containing his headset, practice amp, all of his tapes of his new tunes, all of his writing, his money, his tapes of music, everything. The girl obviously knew who did it, but wouldn't give up any information. Some of our crew demolished the apartment, destroyed it, threw shit out of windows, broke the toilet, everything. We bagged up everything that looked of any value and took it. We went downstairs to where the other junkie lived to get information. He said he knew nothing. Maybe he didn't. The guy's woman came into the hallway screaming. That bitch, was Kira, just spat on me. I'm gonna kill her. She ran past the guy and got a baseball bat. He stopped her before she could get to Kira. We left. Everyone's a junkie to me now. All of them want something. They don't care who they fuck over to get their junk. There's a brutal beauty to that, the singleness of mind, the focus, a straight line, a one-way street. Say a man has a lover who's a junkie. On the outside he's calm, but on the inside he burns knowing that he's second to the junk. What a drag. They're all junkies. The world is a junkie. I'm a junkie. Life is my junk.
4: And this is also during a point in the band where, look, I'm sorry, you do have to cater to the fans a little bit. Every time you go, oh, it's about us, it's about us, it's about us, it's like, yeah, we understand that. But the whole point of live music is so we can all be as one, and you do need songs to unite everybody.
1: You know, I tell you, you know, you, know, you know what selling out is? Selling out is taking a load of shit from a bunch of lackey people who don't do nothing except do shit like this, you know? I'm just against stuff that smacks of just complacent crap, non-moving people, they're like leeches, they just like sit and hold on to you and suck on you for a while. It's kind of like a drowning pool, you know? All these people waiting at the bottom of the pool and they grab up at your feet and pull you down. Whenever you stick your head out of water, they just love to pull you down. But if you get down and sink with them, then it's cool sailing, you know what I mean? And this kind of thing, what I'm doing now, is taking a
0: fist right up the ass. And it's also, Gin is his boss. He's the one that hired him, you know? So when your boss tells you that, as an employee, technically we can say Rollins is. And to make matters worse, this is a creative project. So what are you going to say in the in the music room? Hey, we're writing a song. How about this idea? Shut up. I don't like you. You know, it's
3: <laughs> like, all right, it's well. just it's, the whole <laughs> thing. <laughs> is bad. The
0: what whole thing you, gets put on the brakes.
3: What do you do at that point? Like, oh, all right. yeah, oh all right, just okay. go into the corner. I'll just <laughs> scream
0: and fight people at the audience. I'm, gonna go, yeah, <laughs> I'm just going to go back to my tool shed.
5: This is a song.
1: It's called Rats, Elvis.
0: In September of 1985, Ginn would release an instrumental EP with no vocals under the Black Flag banner entitled The Process of Weeding Out. One month later, they would release their final studio album, In My Head, and its bluesy influence, even grunge sounding similar to bands like the Melvins at the time, would be another change in their direction. The band would release one more live album in 1986 entitled Who's Got the Ten and a Half and play their final show on June 27th, 1986 in Detroit, Michigan. Coincidentally, the town Rollins first traveled to perform with Black Flag after getting the gig in 1981. Well, I just thought it was time.
2: I I felt like the band had been together for 10 years. uh, And I felt like it wasn't going to be the same at that point that kind of, The music um, industry or whatever around us had kind of changed in a way where um, I just felt like it was a a good time to stop. Um, I I felt that the band wasn't, was no longer open to doing new stuff and and breaking new ground. And it had always been um, in the past. And I, I just felt like it was a good time to stop. And I, and I uh, always thought that was a good uh, decision. And um, I never wanted to do any of these
0: reunions or, or that kind of nonsense. Rollins stated in August of 1986, Ginn phoned him and said, I'm quitting Black Flag. And Rollins said, well, that's strange considering it was your band. And it all ended that quickly. July 12th, I'm in the shed.
1: I've been here about two weeks, the tour's been over. It feels strange being in one place for so long. When the tour ended, I felt as if I'd stepped off a fast moving train. You look behind you and it's over. It's so over with that it seems like it didn't even happen. So much for glory. I feel somehow cheated in a way, it's hard to explain. It's just over. You did your time, now get the fuck out of here. I don't think I can explain. I feel empty, restless, and out of place. I've had a hard time sleeping. I can manage only a few hours at a time. You figure there's going to be some kind of big movie-type ending to the whole thing, some big climax, but there's not. It's just over and everyone goes
0: home and promises to keep in touch, but never does. Five years and six full-length records is what Black Flag put out with Henry Rollins. The legacy today of the band is legendary, but in actuality, at the time, it was a failed venture for a means of survival. What mistakes do you guys think they made as a collective to not reach the mainstream?
4: What we did bring up, the fact that they were only playing the songs they like. Again, it is about the fans. Say what you will about a band like KISS. Okay. Okay where it's like, yeah, we know you're putting out products and you're kind of leeching off the fans and you're trying to get your fans to buy the Kiss Cologne or the Kiss Coffin or whatever the hell the dumb thing that they're trying to put out. But they still know what to deliver to the fans. And they were all about delivering to the fans. Black Flag, in many, many interviews, they will constantly point out, Rollins in particular, is we're not playing this music for you. We're playing it for us. And when you're a fan and you kind of hear that, you're like, wait a minute, I thought... Why can't you just play it for us, like, and you? Like, why can't, we ju- why can't it just be a collective of us? It
3: sounds selfish.
4: Exactly, and that's the thing. So when you come across like that and to the fans, not only is that coming across to the fans, but I guarantee you that's still happening within the band as well. This is, there's too many selfish people in the band that were trying to do their own thing, apparently. Last
1: night was the typical Berkeley bullshit. Some guy got on stage and cracked me in the face, knocked me out cold. I came to at Greg's feet, wondering what the hell was going on. People yelling at me, tell me to get up, you faggot. You're not hurt, get the fuck up. I wonder if the Monterey people are as fucked and should be exterminated like the people in Berkeley. We are near Santa Cruz, now that's a town full of assholes for sure. I'm an alien man. I don't understand anyone's anything. Nothing they say makes any sense to me. Their problems aren't mine.
3: So it was like the goal kind of to make an enemy?
0: Enemy of the f- against the fans. Yeah. I think that was part of their appeal. I think there was a time, and, I, and we all relate to self-destruction, right? In this culture. And I feel that that was a mantra that they kind of had. Like, you're not gonna tell me what you do and you keep talking about me because if you hate me, you love me. But that's not necessarily gonna stay forever because people don't hate as long as they love. All the great storytellers keep their mouths shut. Long
1: train ride. Hard to keep up morale and a sense of purpose. Sometimes I see the pointlessness all too clearly.
4: There are videos of Henry Rollins literally on stage. He's got one leg on the monitor, and he's and he's got sure, that he's yeah. got that microphone in his face, and he's literally swinging his left hand. He's his, left-handed, yeah, by the way. Yeah, he's swing. Yeah, he's swinging. He's swinging at fans, just wham, 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 hitting him in the face, not caring who's coming across. That's what Black Flag was. Later on, Black Flag set starts. People started
1: grabbing me and trying to pull me in. One guy kept punching me in the knees for some reason. I let him keep it up for a while and then I clipped him in the head with the mic. Not hard, but just hard enough to make him notice that he's punching me a little bit too many times. He keeps it up so I wound up and belted him with my fist in the mic. His nose broke and his face was all bloody. People kept getting on stage and Ratman and Joe kept throwing them off. I start to notice that now people are getting on stage for the direct purpose of fucking with Joe and Ratman. They are trying to pull them in. The guy whose nose I broke is now standing in the middle of the crowd with his arms outstretched so he looks like he's nailed to a cross. His headband looked like a crown of thorns. The blood trickling from right below his eye looked great. Old Jesus Christ is alive and well in Tampa. During the second to last song of this set, some skinheads pulled the cords from the stage right monitors. Ratman went to go see what was wrong, and that's when they got him. From what he says, they got him down and started to kick him in the head. He told me he was trying to crawl up the stairs to the stage, and they kept dragging him back down and kicking him. I didn't see anything except for Rat getting back on stage with his face all mangled. We stopped playing. The insult started in seconds. I could feel balls of spit pelt me from all over. People started to chant bullshit over and over. I just sat down behind the amps and listened to them. Black Flag sucks. Fuck you, Henry, you pussy. We want our money's worth. Play more, you faggots. Henry, you suck. I want my money back. Rock stars, take the money and run. The thing is, though, is keep
4: in mind, look at how many bands that they influenced. I remember an interview with Jim from Pennywise, and he was saying, uh, I didn't know what I wanted to be. He goes, but then I went and saw Black Flag. Now, this is when Cadena was fronting the band. Mm-hmm. And he goes, but I just saw this rage. And he's like, I have to do that. And he went out and started Pennywise, which to this day is still one of the most successful punk bands ever. I was in the alley loading up, and this drunk guy started bothering
1: us. He came up and tried to kiss me. I punched him in the throat. He flew into the side of a dumpster. Slept at some creepy skinhead girl's house. She was on speed and was up rattling around the house. I kinda slept on the floor of her room. Some of the crew slept in the living room. There was this girl sleeping on the couch. I think she had sex with one of our crew. When I left in the morning to go to the truck, I saw these ugly women, naked, lounging in a hot tub in the courtyard. It looked surreal. Steam rising around all these nude women.
0: I thought I was hallucinating. I got about an hour of sleep. Now, they did get in their own way, though. Do you think because they were learning on the job, Black Flag in general?
4: I think so, especially when they've changed the sound so many times, you know, I mean, they've never really committed to one sound. And I respect that. You know, I respect that as an artist. I don't like it when people uh, are a slave to the genre and every time Black Flag changed, they pissed their fans off, but they still
3: walked out with their middle fingers going, Mm -hmm. I don't care. We made what we wanted to make. You need to venture out as an artist, though, to not be pigeonholed, you know
0: absolutely yeah you think we wanted to do a Gigi allen episode and i wanted to listen to all that audio no but you fans kept telling me to do it and then i ventured out and did john callahan something i wanted to do
3: and did you feel better after that hey that's
0: why we're doing rods now, because those numbers didn't match <laughs> <laughs> so i'm back to the fan side
1: you know uh and like, oh you got a big opinion pal i opened my mouth i'm quintessentially american i am so red white and blue if you can't stand it there's the exit sign. That's what this country's all about. You know, Jefferson's on my side with all of this. He told me not to shut up. When we start shutting up, that's when we start losing our our civil liberties. You know, I I, I think no one should be shutting up. How do you show that you like your fans? You don't ding them for money every possible chance you get. You make the CDs long and you add a lot of cool bonus cuts. You don't charge 50 bucks for a t-shirt. You charge a little bit more than what you made off it. When kids download your stuff for free off the internet and they tell you about it, you don't get mad at them. My party line is, pal, I'd rather be heard than paid. So if you want to steal my stuff, you you go ahead and do to me what record labels have been doing to me for you know now now you get to play the man. Good for you, but am I going to come after you like Lars Ulrich demanding my thirty-five cents? No, man. You know, if you can't afford to listen to my music and you got to get it off the internet, at least you're rocking.
0: By 1985, Rollins would officially start publishing his own books through his own company, and that was two 1361 publications. He would also start recording his own shows at this time and release what would be labeled as spoken word shows.
1: and still is a guy named Ian Mackay, who was in a band called Fugazi. Ian and I came from the same neighborhood when we were about 11 on.
5: There was a local bum in our neighborhood. He was not a bum. He was he was a god. He was a prophet.
1: His name, he went under three names. Paul, Crazy Paul, or Sky King.
5: He was. A, he looked like Aqualung. Reddish
1: like the hair, the beard covered with food, mucus, <laughs> snot, tobacco spittle, cake saliva, dirt, insects. Uh, he, he grew up with us. I mean, I was this high. I go out on the street. There's Paul. I grow bigger, my voice changes, I get four hairs on my dick. There's Paul. I go through puberty and go through high school and graduate. There's Paul. I mean, I went through a decade of my life hanging out with this guy. So after a few years of just walking
5: up to this guy, the, the routine is you walk up to Paul and you just go, Paul, what's up? And Paul, if
1: if he sees you and recognizes you, he just goes in and kicks you some awesome science. A ty- here's a typical Paulism, and one of my favorites. Paul, what's up? Uh, $300 a day, $2100 a week, bicycle tires, sombreros dropped out of the air, uh, helicopters, uh, got a hot dog stand, winter sports in the wintertime, summer sports in the summertime, uh, have uh, kayak races down Wisconsin Avenue, for the ice rink in the old year parking lot, uh, 84 Olympics, mother, father, Marines on top of the mountain, uh, got $2 for a beer? So.
0: <laughs> his first spoken word recording would be released in 1985 entitled Short Walk on a Long Pier, and would consist of observations and stories of his youth. He would tell stories as serious and heartbreaking as the death of a homeless man to his issues with impotency and constant masturbation.
1: Can I go to my circle of friends? Hey fellas. Hey Henry K. Possum man, what's up? Hey guys. Hell, I wanna rap to you for a second, guys. Um, you know, we we've been we've been through stuff together. Yeah, sure have. You know, we've been you know, been through a lot of life, a lot of scrapes, you know, years growing up together. Yeah, you know, I I trust you guys and you trust me. Yeah, of course, man. Well, yeah. I you know, I this was the other day, you know, it was kinda weird. I was, you know, with these two girls and uh I, I couldn't you know, I, I couldn't get a boner. Now do you do you think those guys are, are gonna go like, Hey man, it's cool. You know, sometimes sometimes you just can't. And it's nothing to worry about. Just relax and maybe you do it next time or don't even think about it. Sometimes it happens. Main thing is don't worry about it. You think they're gonna say that to me? No. I think I think all you're gonna see is a bunch of young men jumping under their backs, arms and legs <laughs> flailing in the air. P- you'll hear the sound of choking laughter. <laughs> ah! I can see them all getting up. Hey, Henry! Hey! Hey! Get away from me, man! Hey! Hey! Yeah. Henry! Hi, Henry! Henrietta! Yeah. I can't tell anyone. I don't even know where to go to get any information from a book. I can't go to a library to go to the sex section. Look, there's someone in the sex section! PERVERT, YOU GODDAMN PERVERT! Oh my God. Where do I go? All I have is my ignorance, anxiety and depression. And so for the next 18 months, I do not touch any women cuz I am terrified of getting to the the crucial moment and and hitting strike 3. As long as I do not engage with a woman, I have the hope that I will someday engage with a woman, you know. But if I go for it and I can't do it a third time, I should probably just go incinerate myself. That's what's going on in my brain. By
0: 1987, he would release his second spoken word album entitled Big Ugly Mouth and officially start his own band, this time with his own namesake, Henry Rollins. There's two sides of a brawl there's the winner and the
5: loser the ass whooper and the ass whoopee. Whoopee! You know?
1: And the one who has had his or her ass whooped. What happens? You become very philosophical about the whole thing. You know? Huh? And when you are the ass whooper, you get all macho and shit. Even if you're a woman, you're like, come off, ha ha. You know, <laughs> but if you're a guy, you 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 laugh, ha ha.
5: But it's not like ha ha. It's h a w h a w. Ha-ha! And
1: you have this overwhelming hunger for beef jerky and Michelob And you, you, you crave Marlboro And, and you, your mind burns for a Sports Illustrated And slapping other men on the buckets And laughing hearty men laughs and, and brute cologne and the smell of leather And picking up heavy objects and putting them back down again And grunting and laughing Ha-ha! Like a man laughs Ha-ha! After you you know, kick someone's motherfucking ass So... I was kind of feeling like that. Last show of the whole tour, leaving in a day and a half back to America. Ha! ha I got some front teeth. Ass whooping in Australia. Fuck with me, will you? Two thousand dollars. Ha! ha you know? It's like, like like an asshole would.
0: Henry Rollins would entertain people and make them laugh, but also make them uncomfortable with his views and observations. Why is this considered different than stand-up comedy to him?
3: I think with with Henry Rollins, he didn't shut down the tag. He's when they said, "Oh, you're you're doing stand up comedy." He said, ah, okay, whatever. But he never wanted to call it comedy. He um he talks about some pretty heavy stuff, and you know he'll make it funny. But he said, as an example, he said that he'll talk about things like being in South Sudan and pulling dead soldiers out of the soil, which is not funny whatsoever. But he's able to say it with humor while also making you really uncomfortable. So that's why he never wanted to call himself a comedian because he's not trying to make you laugh every, you know, other seven seconds.
1: So I have to like go, and that's my whole gig. is just killing, hauling away the bodies, killing, hauling away the bodies. 7.30 in the morning, 4.30 in the afternoon, I'm just killing. And it was the same thing every single time. It was, it was, uh... Well, you know, I didn't didn't lose any sleep over it because after the first few times you do, you go, "Fuck, man, this is gross." And after the third day, you're like, duh,
5: duh, duh, another twelve word.
1: things dead, toss it over there. I, I even got a small radio so I could just pass the time. I got it, go to do little same thing. Bye, 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 bye. Here we
5: go. Take your last breath, fellas.
1: And so the the mice would all do the same thing. You take them and you drop them into the bag and they're all on the bottom of the bag because, and the bag's kind of shaking around they're all just kind of looking around like, what's this new game? And they're kind of happy about it. Ooh wee, this is kind of weird. They're all standing up against the bag going like, ah, what's this new torture? And then you squeeze the air out of the bag and you put the tube in and you turn it on and the thing immediately balloons up because the gas just goes right in. Here's what happens. All the mice are kind of at the bottom of the bag. They all simultaneously leap towards where the tube is in an attempt to escape. And it's like kind of like uh, the rites of spring. It's kind of like a celebration of mice dancing. and has all the time. <laughs> and then they all hit the bottom. Boom! And they, then their bladders and their sphincters release all their piss and shit. And you're holding onto this bag, and the bottom becomes warm. And it's just all these dead mice, eyes right, bugging out, mouths wide open, just floating around in this, in this piss and shit. And you squeeze the air out. And you get that, that waft of, of ammonia piss. You knot the bag and you drop it in. And just watching them all leap to the top, this is kind of like this jump for joy, and then they all just land. It was really intense. And then all the little fuckers, they all die with their eyes open and all that. Like, what a way to go. And anyway, luckily they died quick. They didn't seem like they were breathing or anything, so at least they they died fast. So anyway, I'm killing them, and I'm bagging them. And day after day, the bodies are stacking up. It was incredible.
4: Yeah, he's not trying to get a laugh. He's just trying to get his point across. Mm -hmm. That's all he wanted to do was get his view out, whether it was through song lyrics, whether it was through spoken word. That's all he wanted to do was give you his worldview. You can hear some of the spoken word from the last episode. And, I mean, he's dropping N-bombs. He's saying faggot every other word. I mean, it's like, but again, he's not saying it like he's calling people that. He's trying to use
0: those words to get the point across. Those are, those are attention-grabbing words. He's calling people out for using those words. Yes. And yes. he's saying it like, you see how uncomfortable it is when you hear that from someone with anger? Yes. And he's doing it on stage. And people aren't laughing. They're stopping and being like, wow, that is ugly. That's, that's the point. And that's the thing, and that's what he would do. He would just grab these keywords, and he
4: would make his point. Today, it'd be funny hearing somebody use that terminology now. I mean, I'm sure there'd be—he's trying to get a point, a point across about how much he hates racism, but you have to show how ugly racism is. Mm-hmm. So he's using those words to show how ugly it is, but I still think in today's day and age, he'd get condemned for it.
1: You will go into your room, and you will do all of that really hilarious shit. <laughs> that bitch! <laughs> You know, and it's kind of good for you to, to vent a little. So, you know, if you're like me, you lock the door, you paint the walls black, you put on black clothing, dye your hair black, get some black paper and some black ink, turn the lights off, put on a, one of those shitty records from Manchester and... and and just scribble manic poetry
5: page after page after page it comes out of you like a volcanic fountain
1: and it's all good and it's all profound and it's all real because you are the king or queen of pain No one knows the pain that you know You are alone and everything you write is very intense and profound No matter how silly it is Oh Lonely Moon I look upon you, and I see myself, looking back upon Earth. (laughs) Oh, do not cry for me. I lay in the desert of alienation. I am alone. Pity me not. And you'll write all this shit and read it aloud to yourself, and you will think you are so bitchy. <laughs> then three weeks later, you read it, and you're like, oh yeah, there's that killer stuff I wrote. And then, like, it's really hard to read because it's black paper and black ink, so you have to kind of shine it in the light.
0: His solo record, entitled Hot Animal Machine, would be released in 1987. Looking at the bottom! quickly by an EP that was released by him under the moniker of Henrietta Collins and the wife-beating child-haters called Drive-By Shooting.
5: Even though they're in the middle of a whirlwind tour of Leeds, England, we managed to catch up to Henrietta and the band and drag them into the studio for a session. PCP One is proud to introduce Henrietta Collins and the wife-beating child-haters. Hello, Henrietta. Hi, Paul. Hi, gang. Hit it, fellas. Nothing to your imagination this
1: time We tried that last time and in our opinion, uh, didn't work We're gonna do a little number for you right now It's called Drive-By Shooting It's pretty wild, I hope you like it
5: We're gonna get in our car, we're gonna go, go, go Gonna drive to a neighborhood, kill someone we don't know Drive-By Shooting We're gonna go out killing, that's what we're gonna do
0: albums would feature him with guitarist Chris Haskett, a DC guitarist that would be his main counterpart throughout his transition into a solo venture. Then in 1987, he would officially have a secure lineup and vision for his new project. Chris Haskett would be on guitar, and he would recruit two players that were a part of Greg Ginn's solo instrumental jazz project, Gone, as the rhythm section. Sim Kane on drums, Andrew Weiss on bass. And the Rollins band was now official. AHHHHH yeah. After five years in Black Flag, as a frontman of someone else's band Envision, what does control and leading a new project under his name allow him to do?
3: It allows him to be more creative and he doesn't have to answer to anybody. If he has an idea, you know, he can roll with it.
4: Yeah, now he can finally be that individual that he preaches to everyone to be. Mm-hmm. Now he doesn't have to have somebody to answer to. Now he's like, I wrote these lyrics. You're not going to tell me if they're good or not. I know they're good. And they're going to get put on the album. And he can tell people if he doesn't like them. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I don't like you. Beat it. Does he
3: go in front of a mirror? <laughs> <laughs> he's just having a rough day. I don't like you. I don't like you.
4: <laughs> this is this is bigger
1: than all of us in this building. And I'm not saying I'm the proponent of that. I'm just saying we're all in this collective moment together. And, but to be aware of it and to some degree kind of being the ringmaster of it, um, it's a lot of pressure. And thankfully, I don't take myself seriously, but I take the audience real seriously. I really fear failing them. I love them so much. They have no idea how much more I need them than they'll ever need me. They are everything. They're the reason I, answer, I do all the books. They're the reason I, I just, they're it. They're, they're my it. And thankfully, it's given my life a lot of, I know why I get up in the morning. Yeah. And uh, it's a great thing to get up to.
0: Many people thought Rollins could not be successful without Greg Ginn and wrote him off. He went back to D.C. and hired his close friend Ian MacKay to produce his official debut record with the Rollins Band, and it would be called Lifetime. The sound of the album was fresh and bluesy, and distanced himself from the hardcore and punk sounds of Black Flag, creating a different voice and personality musically. While touring with Rollins Band, he would stay focused on expanding his imprint to 1361 with new books and spoken word albums. I walked by Chris's old house on 52 Herald Mount,
1: the place where we wrote all the stuff for Hot Animal Machine in October 1986. There was a beautiful blonde haired girl sitting in the kitchen where I used to sit at six in the morning desperately trying to write songs. Damn these days off. Give me work so I don't have to constantly consume myself. I turn corners. I keep seeing myself mirrored in the bricks. This city fills me with an alien strain of stagnating, suffocating sadness and regret. A pinpoint on the map. Mental quicksand. Trudge through the park cold wind mixed with tiny rain. Like getting coughed on by a corpse. Sure, I'm good. Good at fooling myself so I can sidestep despair with the grace of a matador. I can wear a weary smile and carry it off quite well. Like all human insulation, it's cowardly and sometimes downright mandatory to get through some of the shit that gets thrown your way. To be able to pull away from a night that's reminding you of
0: all things that trip you up. I know you know what I mean. What did Rollins band's spoken word tours and publishing books do for Henry Rollins as he transitioned away from being the lead singer of Black Flag?
3: I would think it it widened his audience. You know, you have the the, the fans of Black Flag, but then you also have like new people who are just learning about him he's able to branch out so it's not so much the the angry music it's whatever he wants
4: yeah now it's just the angry rollins
3: yes it's just it's just him now so i think he's he's attracting more audience he's being able to be more creative do whatever he wants you know he's creating bluesy uh fresh sound and that's that's all him
1: and quite honestly i wouldn't mind having your girlfriend i've forgotten what it's like I haven't had a girlfriend since 1988 or something. Oh my God. Since then, it's just been little hit-and-run adult excursions. Quite honestly, most women bore me. You know? If mm. they smoke, I'm turned off. If they drink, I'm out of there. Uh, if they're stupid, I'm bored. If they're mean, I'm bored. If they're trying to use me, I'm out of there. So I guess I'm very picky. If they don't work out, I'm not interested. If the mind is lazy and the body's lazy, who cares? You mean working out, uh, physically That's right. They're not in shape. Hey, go be fat on someone else's time.
4: I think with Henry Rollins doing the spoken word and doing the band stuff and writing the books, you're just going to be able to attract audiences that would have never given you the chance if you were in Black Flag. Sure. Now we don't have to listen to the thrash of Black Flag. Now we can read the words that you're trying to get across. You don't have to be a punk rock fan to enjoy a Henry Rollins book. You can enjoy the anger. You can enjoy the truth that's coming out of it, even though at the time, I mean, let's face it, he was in his early 20s and it, he sounded like he was in his early 20s. Yeah, I think I know you. You
1: spend a lot of time daydreaming, and people have made comment to that effect, telling you that you're self-involved and self-centered. But they don't know, do they? About the long night shifts alone. About the years of keeping yourself company. All the nights you wrapped your arms around yourself so you could imagine someone holding you. The hours of indecision. Self-doubt. The intense depression the blinding hate, the rage that made you stagger, the devastation of rejection. Well, maybe they do know, but if they do they sure do a good job of hiding it. And it astounds you how they can be so smooth, how they seem to pass through life as if life itself was some divine gift. And it infuriates you to watch yourself with your apparent skill in finding every way possible to screw it up. For you, life is a long trip, terrifying and wonderful. Birds sing to you at night, the rain and the sun. The changing seasons are true friends. Solitude is a hard-won ally, faithful and patient.
0: Yeah, I think I know you. Now, I think in in that time, too, in like 1987, the music industry, I think bands had a curtain. They had like this, you can't get close to them. So there wasn't really a human element. They were larger than human. That's how they were sold to the masses. And him doing spoken word shows, I think, showed him as a human before taking that stage with people.
1: Yeah, I usually write about myself just so I can come from truth. Mm. I can't write a song about you because I don't assume I know you. And working on assumption not the way to do it for me i like to come from my corner that way i can be unrestrained in truth and you can take it or
4: leave it but it is my version of the real thing in music when you're in a band like black flag and you're singing lyrics that's open to interpretation when you're doing spoken word that is it that's really not open to interpretation this is the point that i'm trying to make Mm -hmm. and if you miss the point you're kind of dumb and rollins didn't want you there anyway
1: i think America enjoys one of the greatest versions of democracy under the sun. I think America is very well served by the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments of the Constitution. And so you have all of the, as Lincoln said in 1838, all the materials for your future security and defense. So you have a transparent representative democracy. That's why I hold no contempt for American government. I just want to upgrade it and improve it. Mm Uh, But I'm not one of those, oh, here comes the tyranny of shush. There's going to be no tyranny. Uh, But we do need more representation, uh, more accurate and acute representation and more transparency. But I think by and large, you're you're very lucky with what you have. Can it use an upgrade? Sure. Can any system run by people use an upgrade?
0: Rollins Band would release another EP in 1987 called Do It, and the band would be a touring machine. And Rollins doubled that. When he wasn't on stage with his band, he would be traveling across the globe, perfecting his spoken word performances. Many of those tours would just be him and his friend Joe Cole. They went to the whiskey,
1: of go-go one night, to watch a band. It did not matter what band it could have been, it did not matter who was with them, no one survived the treatment they gave people. It could have been Black Sabbath in 1972, their common favorite band, and they still would have bagged on Ozzy.
0: Because everything
1: was funny when they were together. So the two of them are watching a band at the whiskey, laughing until they urinate their pants at how funny the band is. When actually the band is kicking much ass, they're making it into the worst gig on earth and having the greatest time. People are passing them, recognizing both of them and saying hello. The two say hello back, and once the person who said hello turns away, they make static motions at that person's ass with air knives. (laughs) And laugh and high-five and bond even further. The two boys were a walking riot at all times. Maybe not to anyone else, but each other.
0: He refused to slow down, writing and releasing books on his imprint Two Thirteen Sixty One. By 1989, he would have published nine different volumes of his writings and three spoken word records, including Big Ugly Mouth and Sweatbox. Also, he would complete the second full-length record with Rollins Band, this time produced by the sixth member of the band, producer Theo Vaughn Rock. Mm.
5: You see these hard eyes, you know what I mean. And these eyes got hard, that's what they say. I'm that man, so you can find.
0: The image and stature of Henry Rollins transitioned from an angry youth to a funny, even charismatic, and entertaining performer in multiple formats. What was Henry Rollins' biggest asset to succeed on his terms and redefine his career at this stage?
3: I think the mindset of just like, go, go, go. I'm not gonna stop for anything. I'm gonna keep creating. I'm gonna keep doing what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna keep learning. I'm gonna keep doing this, this, and this. So I think that was his biggest asset. Again, like if he stopped, you know, how would he get that anger out or deal with that anger?
1: You. Yeah. All right, he probably doesn't see me. It's dark and it's raining. Okay, the acrobatic approach. Flares. Finally, I'm doing spastic ballet on the side. Please notice me, notice me. I'm losing it. A cab pulls up on this side of me.
4: No one in the back,
1: light on. Guy's window is down. His face is right over like
5: ah, you, me, Heathrow now. The guy's like, ah, I can't take you. Why not? Cause I'm on a call. Fuck, sir. Why don't you
1: use the taxi stand behind you? The what? The taxi stand. Like forty cabs, forty, a block of them lined up right behind me. All, like, waiting with their lights on. All, like... <laughs> all having a laugh at this idiot getting soaked. He'll, he must be an American. Look at him. Did you see Did you see that one? I thought that was funny. <laughs> I run up to the first cab. You, me, Heathrow now! I dive in the back. The guy goes, when's your plane? <laughs> Soon! We'll never make it. <clears throat> and he, we drive anyway. And, like, he's <laughs> leisurely driving. I'm like... Could you go a little faster? Nope. (laughs) And I'm in anticipation. He's like, we get to the airport. The cab fare is like seven pounds. I give him a 20. He slams some coins in my hand as I'm going past his window with my backpacks. I go, right, run around the front, go running, running at the uh, TWA door. I look into my hand. The guy has like stiffed me for like 10 pounds. He's like put like, you know, 80p in my hand. I'm like,
5: Oh, ke-
1: he's got red lights out back onto the road.
5: Ah, ha, happy hour. Ah, I fucking hate Yankees. Oh, ha, ha, ho, ho, ho.
1: off he went to the pub.
4: The idea of just constantly moving, constantly staying in motion. And I really do think that there's something going on with Rollins. Again, that underlying anger. And when you are motivated with that kind of rage, I mean, honestly, I mean, it's like Henry Rollins
0: had so much anger in him. I mean, you're, that's a never ending supply. It's like cold fusion at this point. And confidence comes from being there. It comes from learning from mistakes. And he's put himself out there in so many different styles and formats right now that how many mistakes did he make financially? How many mistakes did he make musically, creatively, with with giving up control? You know, and at this point, him having full control of everything, there's no record label right now. It's just him. He's making mistakes constantly, but his confidence is he's learning from them. (laughs) By 1990, Rollins Bad had a following, and The Legend of Black Flag was rising, and that band was being recognized for their input in modern times. But the only truly active member in the spotlight was Henry. The rest of the group slowly transitioned to smaller projects, so Rollins was being seen as a true punk rock icon, as the second wave of punk rock was becoming more and more mainstream in the early 90s.
1: So, let's talk about rock and roll for a second. <laughs> I don't believe it or not. I don't get into hatred, not, not, not petty hatred. I'm a connoisseur of hatred. I only want that big, beautiful, righteous hatred, like like hating, hating weakness. Now that's a righteous hatred, you know. Hating, hating pettiness. Hating being a self-serving, egotistical motherfucker like all of you. Just hating that, but hating a singular person, you'll find, after a while, it's really not worth your while. If, if you really have a lot on your mind and you really want to do something with yourself, which I'm sure you all do, hating someone is, you're giving him too much of yourself already. If you hate this guy, don't hate him, just leave him alone, walk away. It's like when someone wants to hand you a, a big pile of horse shit, you don't have to take it. It's like, just, fuck you, man. So I don't get really into, into hating People like that. I mean, I hate all cops. Good ones, bad ones. The only ones I don't hate are the ones that are pushing up the daisies.
0: Despite the Rollins band's sound far removed from punk, his spoken word shows and books were now being embraced by the old audience. He used to fight nightly, and the legacy of Black Flag was finding a new audience.
1: I wanted to tell you a story of young love. I used to work at this head shop. When I was young growing up, I was in Washington DC, and at the time it was ninety-five percent black, and I listened to black music. I got chased by black guys. I got charged with the murder of Martin Luther King at age six. Hundreds of years of slavery at age eight. You know, it was a it was a tough town, you know, it was like it was this It was a politically charged environment,
0: you know? After releasing a live album with Rollins Band 1990 and the spoken word record Live at McCabe's, major labels were ready for Henry Rollins and would start to pursue him. Henry Rollins created a strong following on his own and just by completely doing it yourself. But as he approaches 30 years old, do you think this may be the last chance for him to tackle the mainstream due to the second wave of punk rock? And what is he risking?
4: I don't think he's risking anything, and I don't even think he looks at it like that. I don't think he's looking at it like I'm trying to be the top of punk rock. I think he's just like, all I have to do is keep on creating. And I think part of the reason why he's so stuck on that is because he does have a lot of uh, shame that he constantly relives. And I do think that's the fuel behind all this creativity. So in order to get away from that shame, in order to get away from his past, he's got to keep moving forward. He's got to keep creating, creating, creating. No, I've always just done my thing. And I think a lot of times
1: if you are on your own road, time seems to catch up with you. Like something that was like, oh, can't go near that. Society will assimilate it. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden you're like, back in the rear view like oh yeah he was something whatever his name was yeah. they're already past you so i just try and keep myself current by uh, doing exactly what i want in a very unrestrained manner right. and people seem to keep asking me back which is always good i think it's
4: almost to maybe it's his old material or his old self
3: sure to like kind of hide it i guess is is what i'm trying to yeah not hide it but just you know forget about that yeah this is a new me this is
0: there's a reason he's not in a new band that's black flag yeah. Because he doesn't want to be that guy anymore. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. That was an opportunity maybe. Black Flag was an opportunity he took and it led him down a path. But then the, the whole time he had to realize like in the back of his head, I'm not this guy that I'm playing on stage. I'm this guy. I'm not this punk rock scene. I'm this scene. Yeah. The Does guy that, that was
4: the guy that was the guy that had a mic in his right hand and a fist in his left was the guy fighting for his right to get his creativity out there, was fighting for his right to be confident on stage, but the whole time he's been an intellectual. Intellectuals aren't really known for their fist, but the funny thing is, is when we think Rollins, we think shredded, we think him on stage again.
3: Just super angry, like ready to fight.
4: Yes, yes, but the thing is, is he's really a smart guy, and I think this is his chance to get that across to the people. I've made myself
1: an enemy of praise and adulation. Let me explain the reason for this. Praise is dangerous. It can go from a little to too much in a few words. Sure, it's nice to know that someone likes what you do. You can see what it does to the rock star types that believe the reviews and all the things that everyone says. But to take it all the way, you must turn a deaf ear to praise. Move and keep moving. The last thing I want to hear is that someone likes what I do. When someone starts in with it, I try and change the subject. I know that I'm probably more extreme than most in this respect, but I found that praise screws me up. I like it best having little or no interaction with people at all. That's not to say that I don't like people that come to the roadhouse to see the show. I feel a great responsibility to these strangers. They take time out of their lives to check out what I'm doing, and I'm honored, but I don't want to hear the rub. I am systematically destroying myself piece by piece, and I don't want to be complimented on it. You have to be careful, because it can all turn on you. I find myself in bad situations where I ask myself if I should never talk to anyone again.
0: I just want to get on with the work, the rest doesn't matter. Rollins' next album would be a milestone for him and his band, and it would be their third full-length album titled The End of Silence, and the cover art would feature his entire back tattoo as the front cover art. at the time would be renting a house with his close friend Joe Cole in the Venice Beach area. Joe Cole at this point would have been working with many different artists and his self was a musician author and actor. He would develop close relationships and work with bands like Sonic Youth, Hole, and would be in a relationship with bassist Michelle Leone of Babes in Toyland.
1: Well yeah, my, my old m- roommate moved down and my friend was tired of the hovel he was living in so I said why don't you take the front room? Why were you targeted do you think? um it's a pretty interesting thing um a few days before it, the whole thing went down i just finished a record called the end of silence and rick rubin uh, you, you know rick rubin friend of mine yeah. sure and a great producer he's a you know he was a fan and so he called and said heard your records and i go yeah he goes can i come over and listen and i go of course so he comes over to the house with his rolls royce right yeah parks it in my neighborhood which is like a cracked neighborhood it's pretty intense It's Venice. it's it's, tough. it's not a great neighborhood. No, it's not a great place. Right. But it's okay if, if everyone, if you're a local, and I love that neighborhood. So he comes over with the, with the, the huge rolls. He leaves my place, this long-haired guy with, a, with an early cell phone in his back pocket. Mm-hmm. The whole neighborhood is checking him out. And I wrote in my journal that night, my place is going to get popped. Because Rick was there well, flashing the car. Because the neighborhood saw because they knew I was the MTV guy. He's that guy we've seen him on TV. Right. But he's cool, you know, you know, so they leave me alone. And then I think that maybe word got around and and someone had the misguided thought that there's stuff in that house that's worth something, which is obviously, was honestly not the case. Right. Was the house um,
2: alarmed? Was
1: it? uh, No, 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 no. no, no. You had nothing in there anyway. I was broke. I mean, I had like 11 grand publishing advance and all I knew was I, I could now pay the rent without like writing my mother a letter.
0: Henry and Joe Cole were renting a house in a poor, run-down, dangerous neighborhood in Venice Beach, California. One day, producer Rick Rubin came by their house to hear the record of the end of silence and parked his Rolls Royce in front of their home. People in the neighborhood saw this, making them think there was expensive things in the home. It was Rollins and Cole's habit to shop at an all-night grocery store a block from their house.
5: Their visit on December 19, 1991 was forgettably ordinary until they got to within 50 feet of their front door. You hold, the cabbage? Hey? Come on. okay, go back grand. down. Grand. back down. Don't look at me. Don't look at me. Within
1: one second, you are going from the 90 millionth trip to the grocery store home to two guns in your face.
0: And, you know, your reality changes very abruptly. A few days later, on December 19th, 1991, Rollins and Joe Cole walked from the night's events, and before they reached their home, two gunmen placed guns in their face and robbed them $50 at gunpoint the guy who was on me said if you yell or if you
1: scream i'm going to blow your head off and i said okay what zoomed through my mind was if i speak loud the gun will go off and if i whisper maybe it won't
5: what do you got?
1: and the gun is very delicate and has a life of its own and if
0: i'm cool maybe it won't jump out and bite me the gunman then told Rollins and joe to go into the house Rollins stated they had roommates hoping to deter the gunman from entering the house, but it did not work. I lied, hoping they would go, oh, people in the house, we better get out of here. But that didn't bother
1: him at all. I'm trying to come up with some kind of way to get us out of this. Cause it's not as if you're gonna go for some movie stunt like grabbing
0: the gun and wrestling around. That's, you know, that's fiction. And then as, as Rollins entered the house, he heard a scuffle on the porch and gunshots. He ran through the home as the assailants were shooting at him, and exited out the back door, finding a payphone and calling the cops. When returning to the home, Joe Cole was found and he died from his gunshot wounds. They started shooting. White
4: guys, black guys?
0: They were, they were they were black guys. You think it was racial? No, I, th- I think it
1: was like set up i think you know they said that's where the money is it's, it's just a neighborhood jacking but uh, so
0: when they go in and they say give us your money and you go i don't have any they get pissed i don't know
1: we didn't get that far we what? got to bang
0: bang bang you mean they just they walked just you in shooting? and shot well i
1: i opened the door and walked in i had my groceries in my hand i dropped the groceries on the floor and i was thinking what can i do what can i give them i'm just my mind is spinning i mean right. you ever had a gun at your head it's a it's a new experience you right and and so I was like tripping on the whole thing, thinking it's a dream of some kind. And then I heard shooting, and then the shooting stopped. And my legs took me right out of the back of the house. I ran up the alley, called the cops, was promptly arrested. You were arrested. And, yeah. Well, I fit the description of the guy I was calling in. Let me ask you a question and though. And so my friend was shot
0: and killed. So yeah. you're saying so your back was to these guys? You heard shots. hmm You, I guess you heard your friend drop. No, I just heard shots. You didn't, and you just ran when you heard the shots. I, after which they was were smart. Over.
1: No, the shots came to an end. I just stood there for a second and went, oh, okay, wham, went, off I went. Hmm.
4: Now, why do you think they let you get away? Do you think they realized that they oh, had no, no, shot? no,
1: they didn't let me get away. The detective came with me the next day. He goes, okay, because my groceries are still standing where they were. The yeah. crime scene hasn't been touched. My friend has been moved away. And so uh, they said, okay, stand where you were standing. I said, okay, here I am between the two grocery bags. And they go, check out the, the path of the two bullets. This one missed you by an inch on your left side, and this one missed you by about two inches on your right side. That guy was trying to kill you. And that is the most intense thing that's ever been said to me.
0: Rollins has always had a sense of community with the disenfranchised, despite not sharing their problems like addiction and criminal activities. What is the hard lessons he learned after the death of his close friend Joe Cole? I think he learned desperation. I think when you
4: live like Henry Rollins and you're like, you know you kind of surround yourself with the disenfranchise you kind of surround yourself with people that are downtrodden he's never been one of these guys it's like I'm gonna take from you but you know he's never been that guy he's never been like I'm gonna take something from you he's always found a way to get by get pull himself up by his bootstraps get food by himself if he need be but it doesn't always work like that in those neighborhoods a lot of in those neighborhoods a lot of people are like no I want what you have and I'm gonna take it and that's pretty much what he learned. He learned that in those neighborhoods when selfish acts take on a whole new meaning to some people. He refused to
0: believe that, though, for years. That's what I'm saying. It's like he he wanted to see the best. He it, saw everything that happened around him, not to him. Yes. But he sure. saw okay. it happen around him, and he refused to believe that. Why do you think that was? I think maybe because he heard
4: other people's story, the, the people that were doing that type of stuff. He's like, he got to know them
0: as people, and he just kind of was like, oh, well, it's never gonna happen to me. You think it was maybe ego? And he's like, this, yeah, it'll never happen to me. Like you think in his head, he's like, no, they can't pull this on me.
3: I, I think, uh, yeah, I think you always have that in the back of your mind. Like, oh, that's that's not gonna happen to me. Like someone gets shot, that's that happens to them, not to me.
1: When someone dies in this way, it's not just the loss of a life. There's a mother, there's a father, you know, and then all of us, the friends who lost this fantastic person And you never recover from it all the way. You always carry some of it in you, and it it wrecks you year after year. As mutilated a concept as justice is in this country, and how it only seems to benefit a certain skin color and a certain um, economic uh, place in America, Real justice is a pretty righteous thing, and I'd like to see it done and exacted on these individuals.
4: It's always how it works, and it's like and until it happens to you, and that's. But that's always how people learn, because I've met too many people that'll have a stance on certain, like on a certain something. Like for example, you, a religious family will be like, I don't like gays, but then all of a sudden they have a gay daughter, and then now their whole view on it changes. Now it's now it's home. Now it's home.
3: Do you think there was a, he kind of took for granted that, you know, something like this hadn't happened to him until that point?
0: I think so. I think you do take that for granted. Like, no, I am a part of this thing. People won't, exactly. Like, this is where I belong. Instead of trying to get out of it, you become comforted by it. Yeah, I think the streets are comfort to you if you walk them every day. You know, the, the neighborhood's a comfort to you if you drive through it every day. It's familiar.
3: And you, yeah. and you know what's, it, I, I guess, you, you kind of expect what's going to happen or you kind of know what's going to happen. Yeah,
0: there's a... There's and a, you think those streets
4: are your friend. There's a bond well, there's that, that takes exactly. place with people that grow up in the streets. You think that you're in the uh, foxhole together. You know, you think you think you're you're, you're behind you're behind the uh, the barricades together. Like we're in one. We can pull through this if we just do it together. And in some cases you do see that manifest. Sure. But when, but when the
3: lights it, go down, when it turns your back on you, that's when it your your whole world goes upside down.
0: Is that urban myth about the Tupperware and you keep his brain in a Tupperware? Someone about 10 people have told me that.
1: Well, I I had to clean up the lawn and front porch from uh, with you know that was had his splattered remains all over the place cuz his parents were coming and I didn't think they should see that. Right. And so I dug up the soil around where his head had hit and I I kept it. Now, wow. Hey Howard, I got a question cuz I was yeah. reading this story which is very intense. Didn't you end up having some sort of a beef with the guy's dad? You were you're irritated that he went on television? Well, I think the guy's dad lost his son, so he's a distraught man. Right. And he said some things that he probably didn't mean. About you? Yeah. Okay. And he definitely said some things that weren't true. And um, so... Like? R- well, that I knew I, that I knew these people oh. and I had something to do with it, which is, you know, thoroughly insane. But
0: I can dig grief because I was in a lot of it myself. Henry Rollins on December 18th, 1991 and Henry Rollins on December 20th, 1991 would be completely different people. The tragedy and the way Joe Cole was taken was a life-changing moment. He would tell the story on many spoken word performances and revisit it often, keeping the memory of his friend alive, even releasing a book entitled Planet Joe, written by the journals of Joe Cole onto 1361 Publications.
1: And then it took us a couple of days of frantic moving and we moved every piece of furniture and gear out of that house and threw it into storage space and I lived in someone's office for a few weeks and went on tour. And I'll tell you what, man, all that talk about kill a motherfucker like it ain't no thing and all that tough gang banging shit, you know what? I think it's fucked up and stupid because when someone dies, it's not like in those movies.
0: The two men who robbed and murdered Joe Cole would never be found, and 30 years since his passing are still at large.
1: There's one good thing that comes from this: when something this powerful happens, there's a powerful lesson you can get. And here's what: I'm not trying to say I'm some goody goody, you know, oh I love you all or like that, and that new wave shit. But look. I don't know many of you people. I don't even know how many of you are here tonight, but I'll tell you one thing. I like all of you, all right? And I don't like all of you. Like, I want to move into your house. I want you to come over and hang out with me and shit. I mean, but I like you. I really do. And I'm really glad you're here. Not because you paid whatever to get in here, because you're alive. And I don't even know you, and I, I love your life because you got one. And if Joe was here now, he'd be... He'd be here, but he's not.
0: He decided to not move to a major label with The End of Silence and signed with the independent label Imago Recordings. On February 25th, 1992, he would release The End of Silence.
5: When you see yourself and see the one that you hate.
0: The record made top 10 lists around the world and is considered a landmark record of the alternative music movement and showed that the musical voice and career of Henry Rollins was far from over. After tragedy and mainstream success, Henry Rollins would take the critical success and acclaim and produce his first spoken word performance video titled Talking From The Box and release his professional recorded spoken word album titled The Box Life. Both in nineteen
1: ninety-three. When I'm home, I got you know, I, I lift weights when I'm home, I got my little gym set up every day, three o'clock, the one hundred-minute Phil Wine tape. All sad songs. You figure you know you'd be working out, you want to get pumped up. No, no, no. It's, you get that that I hate you woman
5: energy. Going. <laughs> you love me, you bitch. <laughs> Line of possesses
4: the irony I never had. You know, he always says, You, you left me, but I'd
1: come running back. And I say, You left me, and I'll come running back to
5: stab you, fucking t-.
0: The one thing Henry Rollins was yet to produce was a hit song that would be played across airwaves. And at this point in his career, does that mainstream success matter or is the critical acclaim and loyal fan base all he needs? I think that's all he needs is the critical acclaim and the fan base. That's all
4: he needs. And at this point, too, I mean, look how much his life has changed. Again, you listen back to episode one and he's talking about shooting cops like it's a badge of honor, like it's a good thing. Well, after his buddy got shot, who was the first person that he called?
3: And and cops, I'm yeah. sure.
4: I'm sure that was an eye-opening experience.
3: Do you think it's kind of um, a way to tribute Joe?
4: Yes, I, I, that's a good point.
0: That's a good point because again, Joe win if he lives. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, they'll win.
3: So he know. he signs with a major record label, and you know his friend was killed because of you the know, major record label. Exactly. So I think it he might have felt that it would be insulting
4: and it wasn't because of the major record labels it was because of the arrogance the major record labels proposed showing up in the ghetto and a fucking rolls-royce you should know better dude you should know better
1: you can do a lot of things for nothing and you can waste a lot of your time and do nothing and i figure you get born with this body and if it functions i figure you're really lucky and why anyone would want to screw it up is beyond me so with the minute and a half I have remaining, I just implore you to stay away from the heroin, the dope. Why any of you would like to take those beautiful lungs you have and put cigarette smoke in it is totally beyond me. I mean, what's the matter with you? You guys were raised by wild dogs or something. But anyway, you are what it's all about. If anyone tells you you're lame or something, no one has anything that you don't have. You're what
0: it's all about. You're it. Do you think in the back of his mind, though, he was like, I need a hit and I need to get out of here.
4: I'm sure there is a point where, you know, if he would have made that hit by then, I'm sure it would have been just a feather in his cap. But I don't think but I think the overall message to him is always have a sense of self. And once you sign with a major record label, now all of a sudden you're not the boss. You
3: kind of sell your soul.
4: There you go. And he's always been against selling your
1: soul. Mm -hmm. When I'm on the street walking around, I always hear Madonna blasting out of a car or a store. Madonna's everywhere. In the big cities, in the big slums, Madonna is there, just like Sister Teresa. Making us forget about the rats and the garbage. I have no friends besides myself. None. I made that decision today. People turn, pull attitudes, lie. They don't come through. I see it all. Every fucking second of it, and I hate it. I know some great people. Some of whom I trust they're okay by me, I always watch them to see when they will betray me. I have only one real friend, myself. I'm always amazed at how hostile and abusive people can be when it happens at black flag shows. That's the strangest. There are all these people there to see you, and they'll give you shit, try and hurt you, and try and rip you off. It's a lonely place I've put myself in. Why? Because I'm sick of letdowns, lies, deceit, and betrayal. I will maintain
0: and support Fort Rollins forever. As 1994 approached, Henry Rollins is now known for much more than just the lead singer of an iconic punk rock band, but an unrelenting voice and strength in entertainment. And while in demand, he would be tasked with making decisions to maintain the serious persona or embrace the comedy that could possibly change the view of him to audiences again.
1: It is very hard to find inspiration because you don't know who's playing you the right cards or who has the aces up their sleeve, who is trying to, to fuck you up, you know, because all these guys come on with this, these sincerity rap, oh, don't worry, we're sincere, and everyone's sincere, you know, I said this last night, Attila the Hun was sincere, uh, Idi Amin was sincere, every cop is sincere, the clan is sincere, I mean, they sincerely want to kill you, right? So everyone is sincere, so who gives a fuck about sincerity? Think about my friend. Think about my friend who was, who was murdered. You know, just so you know, I got a friend. He's dead. He got his face blown off right next to me about a year and two months ago. His potential is over with. He's in a plastic box in Burbank, California, two feet under the ground, doing nothing. Okay? He can't inspire anybody. He can't do anything. All we can do is just say, damn, man, I sure miss Joe. Because I sure do miss Joe, and anyone who knew him missed him too, and they still do. And he'll never do anything again. But... All of you have infinite potential. I mean, you're here, right? I mean, none of you are dead, I don't think. You seem pretty alive to me. And you're capable of anything. You guys are capable of anything.
0: Follow my co host, Brandon Hahn, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Mr. Hahn Comedy, Joslyn Sharp on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Joslyn Sharp, and Sylvia Alvarado on Twitter and Instagram at It's The Sylvia. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Rise to Offend, and on Instagram at Rise to Offend Official. And make sure to listen to us every Monday on the Metal Sucks Podcast on MetalSucks.net email us comments questions errors we may have made or any figure you would like us to cover rise to offend at gmail.com discover the life and work of henry rollins go to henryrollins.com and listen to his radio shows and podcast episodes there purchase his books available wherever ebooks are sold listen to his spoken word albums and filmed specials and invest the time and energy in his musical career spanning from black flag to the rollins band All content provided on this show is copyrighted by its owners. Thank you all so much for the reviews on iTunes. These five-star reviews are helping this show grow and is all we can ask from you guys. Please, if you listen to the show and appreciate all the hard effort behind it, review the show on iTunes for us. It truly means the world that you take the time to listen and to review the show. Next week, we tackle part three of three on Henry Rollins. Until then, Repeat Offenders, RCO Podcast, signing off.